This is Scott Richman, the director from New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from ADL's headquarters in New York. If there were ever a front line, it is Israel in the wake of the barbaric atrocities committed by the Hamas terrorist group on October 7. Those atrocities not only left a terrible physical mark, but also a psychological one, which may not be as visible. Since 1998, the Natal organization has been responding to trauma in Israeli society, and their mission could not be more important today. I have asked Professor Rivka Tuval Mashiach to join me on today's podcast to describe Natal's work and what they have faced since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. She is a clinical psychologist, a psychology professor at Bar-Ilan University, and the chairperson of Natal's Professional Steering Committee. Welcome, Rivka, too, from the front lines. Hi, nice to be with you. On Natal's website, it does not speak of the trauma of just the victims of October 7th and their families, but rather the trauma of the entire country. Of the 9.7 million citizens of the state of Israel, what does that national trauma look like? You're right that, you know, Natal was not established uh, uh, for the October 7th uh, massacre, surely, but it was really based on the idea that Israel is exposed to so many wars and, and terror attacks and national events, traumatic events, that the the founder, Judith Reconati, she felt that a need uh, should be addressed to to help people cope with the impacts of uh, national traumatic events. Not everyone was injured through his, his or her military service, so the idea was that civilians could come and get help for everything that they need. Of course, from uh, October 7th, we see it in so many much more circles because, in a way, all of us were exposed all of us, in a way, are related, both because we, we have relatives and, and because we visited these places and we know these areas, and also because the majority of Israelis, they have either spouses or sons or daughters who serve now in the army in, in Gaza or elsewhere. So it feels like it's, it's our trauma. It, it belongs to all of us. You started to speak a bit about the mission of Natal. What is the mission of Natal and when it was founded in 1998 and, and what has it continued to be? The, the understanding of what PTSD, post-trauma, is just started to emerge in Israel. And it became clear that people are affected by wars. But in Israel, because so many populations were exposed to war, and to terror attacks that we are facing every now and then, the idea was that a center should be established that can really develop responses and interventions to people who are in need, both civilians and veterans from the military. So that's how it started. How important is it to an individual and to a society that trauma is confronted? What what happens if it's not? It really depends. Maybe I should start by saying that, you know, when people encounter traumatic events, not everyone will experience the event as traumatic. Okay, so first we need to understand who 
experience the event is traumatic and who needs to be uh, treated. Not everyone needs to be treated after exposure to trauma. And, and even further, we may harm people if we give them interventions when they don't need it. People tend to be resilient, the majority at least, but when the trauma is very, very difficult or it's ongoing, or when you have uh, some risk factors, you may develop PTSD. So part of our challenge is to identify who really needs help and who should be just, you know, uh, taken care of and watched to be seen uh, uh, that they can cope by themselves. If you are a person who has experienced that and needs help, what happens if they don't get help? Okay. If, if, you, if you do need help and you don't get this help, what will probably happen is that you will develop PTSD. Now, uh, we have a window of about a month it, it may be a bit longer, but it's around a month that if we do intervene with this with uh, within this window, we may prevent PTSD or at least make it um, occur in a in a less complex way. If it's not treated, then um, PTSD develops, and then it's much harder to treat it. So this is why early identification and early intervention is important. Because when, when you do develop PTSD, you suffer from many, many symptoms that really harm your ability to function and cause a lot of distress. And it comes with a, a wide variety of symptoms that really, really make um, people's life uh, really difficult. Can you give me an example of some of those symptoms? We speak about um, cognitive symptoms, which include the uh, um, difficulty to concentrate uh, or to remember or, or confusion. We speak about emotional symptoms, which include sadness, anger, disappointment, uh, feeling that you're just unstable emotionally. We speak about behavioral symptoms, which uh, include avoidance or sometimes violence. Uh, and we, we speak about uh, physical symptoms, which include the, the difficulty to fall asleep or to stay asleep or alertness. It's really, really quite bothering because it comes up with many, many symptoms. And, and people may describe it sometimes as if they feel that they are different people. They, they feel that the traumatic event has changed them because they don't know themselves anymore. And how does Natal deal with, with these symptoms or, or deal with preventing them? So it depends. If we can get people to get the help that they need at an early stage, let's say, for example, they call the hotline immediately after the event happened or in the first days, then we can start therapy quite soon. And, and then we are still during this window of, of prevention, okay? If uh, someone comes after two, three, or four years, then we deal with PTSD. Now, PTSD can be treated. It's not that it cannot be treated, but it's more difficult when it is stable. When we meet people with PTSD, we have several evidence-based treatments that have been proven to be efficient 
And we work with clients, uh, you know, towards uh, alleviating their symptoms. And we'll, usually it works. It takes time, but it works. You mentioned the hotline as being one part of Natal's work. What are the other elements of Natal's work? And we have a, a, a special hotline where people can call. And if they are not ready to be treated now, if they are, you know, some people are really uh, feel that treatment is still stigmatic, then they can choose to have a, a volunteer on the hotline talking to, the, to them every week, like uh, phone therapy. Sometimes it's the gate opener for therapy. Sometimes it's instead of therapy because it's enough. Our volunteers in the hotline are really very, uh, very, very trained to do trauma work. And sometimes they just replace therapy. So that's uh, one thing that is really unique about our hotline. Uh, we do have the community outreach unique where we, um, we train and we teach different professional groups to work with trauma or to develop resilience. This is also related to prevention because when you when you train for resilience, you many times are able to, um, to prevent PTSD. For example, if we work with uh, nurses in hospitals or with uh, first responders like firefighters or policemen, and you train them how to keep their emotional balance, uh, you know, confronting everything that they see during their work, then you may help them to become resilient because these people, this is their, their daily routine to see traumatic events. This is another unit uh, which is now really, really working very hard because they go to all these evacuated communities, to the hotels, and, and they give the therapists there and everybody who works with these communities they work with them to develop their resilience, okay, and 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 really prevent what we call secondary traumatization of the people who take care of the traumatized survivors. And we have another unit which is the school where we uh, offer courses on different types of trauma, different interventions, where people, usually professional uh, audience, they can come in and learn more about trauma and working with traumatized communities and children and adults and the elderly. These are the basic units that we have. Post-October 7th, what, once it be cl became clear what had happened, how did Natal mobilize and, and what are you now doing? In response, and we started working. Um, if, if it started six thirty in the morning, our hotlines got the first phone calls at six thirty-five, and these were really very challenging and very different calls than the ones that we usually get, because there were uh, calls from the mamad from the shelters where people called live when terrorists were outside, and they said we are afraid. We're calling you because we have your your number, Natal number, and we and we want to know what we should do because we hear terrorists outside and we are afraid and we cannot go outside and these were really difficult, you know, calls because there was nothing we could do at that time. 
And of course, we got thousands of, uh, of phone calls in those two, three days. And, and this large amount of calls continued until the very last days. That was the first sign for us uh, to, that to really channel all the uh, the power that and, and all the all our people to start working. So we work uh, with the uh, evacuated communities in the hotels. These communities were the houses were burned and destroyed, had to be evacuated to all kind of hotels in Israel, in the Dead Sea, in Jerusalem, in Shfaim, in Tel Aviv, in really communities either were split up or if they managed, they went together. So we started working with them. We started really uh, widening our services in the clinical unit. Uh, we started to uh, uh, work with the headquarters uh, of the uh, hostages families, we started giving supervision to different population, as I mentioned, to therapists who work with uh, uh, traumatized survivors. What are some of the, the most difficult examples of what you dealt with? Everything's very difficult because, you know, I, I've been working with traumatic events and, and traumatized survivors for many, many years. And these uh, events, the, the October 7th and its aftermath, are so much more difficult because of because of the of the massacre because of the evil of the terrorists because of what people had to witness because of what you need to hear about people that you sit with them and they tell you uh, about their uh, brother who was uh, kidnapped and their friend who was murdered and their uh, girlfriend who was raped in front of their eyes and about their house that they saw burning, and about, you know, you, you just hear from one person so many stories, which usually, you know, usually you hear it from four or five different people. So we really deal with uh, multi-traumatic stories. It's difficult to help in such situations. It's, it's much more complicated because people are both bereaving and traumatized and have no home and of course if you don't stay in your home then you lose your job because you can work in the hotel in in the dead sea you need to be where you have to work so it's like a domino effect where people lose and lose and lose and it, it really you need you just need to stop this domino falling of all the um anchors that people have for their lives my next question is really about the population that you help. Is it basically the Jewish community or or do you find that members of the Israeli Arab community are also reaching out to you for assistance or, or even other communities, the Druze, the Christian? I would say that the majority is the Jewish population. In the past, before October 7th, we, uh, of course, did have programs and interventions and collaborations with the Arab uh, society and, and population. I think it's a bit it's a bit uh, sensitive now for them to turn to get help from Natal, but of course everybody, including Arabs, Druze, uh, Christian, everybody is welcome to use Natal services. Sometimes it might be that they don't feel that you know uh, an organization that 
speaks about the national trauma speaks to them because it might be that for many Arabs, I'm not talking about October 7th because for, for many of them, October 7th is traumatic. But before that, Arab citizens said, you know, what you speak of as national trauma is not our national trauma. So we need to know what is the national trauma that you're talking about, because the 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 war uh, is it means different for many Arab citizens. You know, the for example, the forty eight war, the independence war, it, it symbolizes something else for Jews and something totally different for Arabs. Okay. So it's it's sensitive, and still I'm telling you that before October 7th, we had collaborations. I am hopeful that these collaborations will continue when things settle down a bit. I, I noticed that you also work in other countries. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the work that you're doing outside of Israel? Because Natal developed really some very uh, effective models to work with trauma, starting from the hotline, which is the gate opener to different services, uh, we were contacted by uh, different organizations in the in the U.S. mainly, and we helped develop different services in the U.S. I was personally involved in establishing and opening up a, a very interesting and similar trauma center in Bronzeville in Chicago with Pastor Harris who came to Natal, was very impressed by the work that we did. And we went there and we evaluated, you know, the similarities and differences because uh, in Bronzeville, they needed the trauma center to work with urban uh, violence and with, you know, crimes, which is a bit different than national trauma. But still, there were many diff- many similarities that we could work with, and and happily that they have a very very strong and impactful trauma center that they uh, built with our help. We trained their um, helpline uh, people, and it works very well. So that's one example. Uh, but we do work with firefighters and with police in New Jersey, for example. And we have a project in Milwaukee. When you do trauma work and it's effective as a model, it's not one intervention or one therapy. It's really a very holistic model that that works for individuals, but also for communities. Then it's, it is something that can be uh, scaled to, to work in other conditions, circumstances, countries. And obviously Israel has experience with trauma in a way that uh, perhaps others don't. So you you really have a lot to offer the world. Yeah, you know, someone uh, called us the trauma lab. We do have this, you know, uh, unfortunate, you know, circumstances, but that, you know, if we take something out of it, it it is that we we know a lot about, you know, trauma. We We know a lot about resilience. We know a lot about risk factors. We know a lot about resources that are helpful. I see that you even provide English language resources on your website, which mostly focus on how to talk about the conflict with young people. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about those resources and, and how our listeners can access them. Sometimes we develop resources, you know, based on the, the Q&A that we get from either Israeli or people who contact us from abroad to to ask, you know, how do I speak to, to my children about what happens? How do I uh, teach them to be really alert? But without traumatizing them, you know, our kids are the ones that we want to protect as much as possible. But but it's difficult for them not to see that everybody, every second person in the street wears, you know, uniform now and, and belongs to the military. So, so yes, we, we are very open to hear from the field what people need that they need to learn more about. And that's how we develop. We have... Uh, short videos to work with kids uh, because, you know, it's much more friendly for kids to watch a film. And how can people access those English language resources? Oh, they can access them on our website, on the Natal's website. I'll put it in the uh, the show notes. Okay. Uh, okay. And tell us uh, maybe more long-term, what will be needed on a more long-term basis to deal with the trauma that Israelis have faced? As we learned from the biggest war that impacted the Israeli society, the Yom Kippur War, we're going to be affected for many, many years forward. First, because, you know, we're still in the trauma. We're, we're not past the trauma. We're not post-trauma. Uh, it's a situation that we call as professionals peri-traumatic because every day we get news most of them are, are regarding the hostages are not good. And it's like a leaking of, of bad news, right? And we're still waiting to hear good news. But, but the situation is that it's, it's open. It's not something that ended for, for us. We're waiting to hear news. We are hoping that it will be good news. And, and the same goes for the war. As long as the war continues, Israeli cannot feel it's behind us. Only when all these aspects will end, we'll start facing the, the next stage, which is post-trauma. Now, the majority, as I said, will recover okay, spontaneously, without interventions or with very light interventions. But we'll have thousands of people because we, we do have thousands of survivors who are directly exposed and we'll have thousands of, of bereaved families. And we'll have the cycles of the families who, who treat these families. So you can imagine that for, for, the, for the coming years, this war will impact the, the Israeli society. I want to hear a little bit about you. How did you become uh, engaged with, with this issue of uh, psychology and, and trauma? I was uh, working as, um, you know, as part of my internship uh, as a young psychologist in the Hadassah Hospital, that's medical center in Jerusalem. It was many years ago. At that time, Jerusalem was the target of many terror attacks. It was about, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But buses were bombed in the middle of Jerusalem. In the, in, in the main streets of the Jerusalem, buses were bombed uh, and people were killed. And working in the emergency room as a psychologist, 
uh, I saw all those people who survived and came there. And I joined the trauma center, the psychological trauma center who was there, which was really, you know, at its beginning. And that's how I started. And, and you know, it's a calling. It's different than any other uh, psychiatric condition that we can imagine, right? Because one day you're normal, you're functioning perfectly. And the other day you become with PTSD and it's not something about you. It's something about the, the situation that you happen to be in. It's very different than all the other psychological conditions that usually are, you know, at least related to something that happens in your internal life. So it really, really got me immersed in it. And I started researching it and I started working with traumatized uh, clients of different sources, uh, sexual trauma, civilian trauma. And, and that's how, you know, I decided to make this uh, part of my uh, professional career, both as a researcher at Barilan and also as a clinician and, and working in a tab. In Israel, when you deal with national trauma, you don't treat someone who's not part of your life anyway, because I'm Israeli, because I'm, uh, because I'm a Jew, because my son now is in Gaza fighting, you know, as a, as a soldier. So it's not hypothetical it's not abstract for me it's 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 part of my fears it's part of my life it's really highly related to everything that I do we call it shared reality where the clients and the therapists they share the same fears the same reality the same risk the same exposure Okay, so I wasn't on uh, on this kibbutzim on October 7th uh, you know in thankful for that because these were really it, it people describe it as you know more difficult than in the holocaust the, the the things that they had to face but else than that we are all exposed here both therapists and the and the and the patients so you say you have a son that's in gaza right now I have four children um two girls two boys my two boys are now in the military. One is in Gaza. I haven't heard of him for the last two weeks since he entered Gaza. And the other one is in reserves, but he serves elsewhere in uh, in the area of uh, of the Samaria. That must be incredibly difficult for you not hearing from your son. Right. I try to watch videos of all those Israeli journalists to come to Gaza to take, you know, films. And I try to see, maybe I'll find my son there. But so far, I haven't, you know, it wasn't successful. But yes, it is challenging. I think of the Yom Kippur, where people, you know, uh, weren't in contact with their families for a month or two. But that was the time where you didn't expect your son to call you every day. Now we have cell phones and this media and we're not used to not hearing, you know, he's, he's 21 and he, and before that he didn't call me every two seconds, but at least uh, WhatsApping me three or 10 times a day, or I could call him if I wanted. So we changed as, as humanity. We are, we are much more dependent in this kind of communication. So it's, yeah, it is challenging and it, you know, makes you wonder about, you know, how to develop ways to know that, okay, that's what he needs to do now. It's better for his safety that he will not have his cell phone, that's for sure. So, you know, 
we're waiting, all of us, all mothers and fathers, we're waiting and praying. My last question is uh, something you were headed towards, which is about the resiliency of the people of Israel. Can they recover yeah. from the trauma of October 7th and its aftermath? Um, yes, I I think we can. It's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, because you're exposed to so many wars and so many uh, terror attacks, you may become more vulnerable. But on the other hand, you do develop resilience because Israelis are quite resilient in terms of um, coping with stressful situations. So, uh, so we, it's... It's true to say that the majority of the population is resilient. Now, I think we also must say that we learned something from the, from the trauma of Yom Kippur War and from the trauma of the Holocaust. And that is that trauma needs to be treated. And I think part of intergenerational effect of the Holocaust is because nobody knew anything about PTSD then. You know, PTSD as a term uh, was invented only after the Vietnam War. So it's not so long ago. It's many years after the Holocaust. So nobody knew about PTSD and trauma and how to cope with it and that it's good for the survivor to talk, let alone give them treatment. So I think we know much more and hopefully will not be in a situation where, you know, in, in 40 years, people will speak about the intergenerational effect of this trauma because we do know better how to diagnose and to screen and to give interventions to those in need. So hopefully we'll learn something from, you know, previous wars and from the Holocaust. Professor Tuval Mashiach, this has been a fascinating window into Israeli society in the wake of October 7th. I'm so grateful for the incredible work that you and the staff at Natal do every day. Thank you for this, and, and thank you for being on From the Front Lines to discuss your critical work. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. That concludes today's special podcast, which for the foreseeable future will bring the stories from Israel to a broader audience as part of my work to fight anti-Semitism and all forms of hate as ADL Regional Director in New York and New Jersey. And thank you to you, the listeners, who tuned into this From the Frontlines podcast. If you are moved by what you've heard, please share this podcast. These stories must be heard. And if you are not already a subscriber, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on X, Threads, and Instagram. My X handle is at Scott A. Richmond. My Instagram and Threads handle is at Scott underscore ADL. And our hashtag is fighting hate for good. <laughs>